Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sex Archie, a Riverdale recap podcast. Except that's not what we're doing today. As you might remember from uh, our last episode, and as you can probably tell from this one's title, this is not our uh, regularly scheduled recap of Chapter 47. No, no, no. This is a bonus episode. Elena is off traveling the world. Uh, by the world, I do mean central Pennsylvania. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, just just to have something up for you today, I thought it would be fun to to come up with a few ideas, send them out into the world, and uh, the most popular one from people who follow us on Twitter was talking about my my Riverdale inspired collaboration of an RPG uh, called Glenbrook, a, a uh, playset for Final Bid. So that's what we're going to do today. The one that I thought would have the least interest won. Uh, so it shows what I know about my demographic. I, I need to get some uh, some better analytics in the house. But uh, in order to uh, make it worthwhile, I brought in a ringer. That's right, our very first guest ever on Sex Archie. Please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Jacob Randolph. I wrote Final Bid, except for Glenbrook, that thing Grant wrote. <laughs> <laughs> so we have an expert. Please uh, uh, demonstrate your expertise to the people. Am I correct in, in the knowledge that you have not seen a single episode of Riverdale? I have not. <laughs> not, a, not a big fan of the People's Choice Award winner for a, a TV drama? I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a People's Choice anything. Never mind the dozens of Teen Choice Awards. I might have seen a couple Teen Choice things. <laughs> I'd have to go back and look at a list. And I also know you've not yet uh, listened to this program that you are now on before. Yep, I have not listened to this show before, so I do not know the okay. format or what we what what you do in this show. Well, the first segment team. of our, our regularly regimented program is that whoever's on it viciously insults each other uh, <laughs> using things that only they would know, and and now they're they're public to be used for blackmail or or general internet harassment, as the case may be. So wind <laughs> up, and here it comes. That sounds awful. <laughs> Let's start with brass tacks first. I'd like to ask you what a uh, uh, final bid even is. What what is this thing that you made? And I made a, a certain portion of. Yeah, um, it is a tabletop role play game that's coming out in about a month, late February, early March, twenty nineteen. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you are taking care of things like print proofs right now, which is why yep. setting a date is is difficult, but soon. Very soon, yeah. It's um, just gotta wait for them to mail me a thing, pretty much, which takes a couple weeks because they gotta and cross your fingers that they stuff. get it right the first time. Yeah, and we don't get <laughs> weird things like the fellowship mishap that I hate so much and does still do not understand what happened. Um, <laughs> but that's not this game. Uh, Final bid is an auction-based game where you bid for control of scenes in a movie. And it's got a bunch of different films in it, and one of them I had Grant come in and fill in for, because I don't know anything about teen dramas. I have seen very <laughs> few of them over my lifetime. Mm -hmm. I'm more of a schlock kind of person. I like spy movies and sci-fi and westerns. Which are all in Final yes. Bed. 
Yes. Th- there is a, a previous iteration of this that only had the Western, and I uh, have been deeply in love with that game since I first read it and played it. Since it came out a little over four years ago? Yeah, four years ago. Mm-hmm. October 2014 is when it came out. So once I knew that it was being expanded, I uh, I demanded <laughs> that that I be given a chance. Just just put me in, coach. Let me, let me show you what I can do. And of a few options, the the one that you were like, yeah, go go and run with it was teen drama slash teen melodrama. I went back and forth on which term I wanted to use. The main reason I went with teen drama instead of melodrama is so I could describe it as melodramatic in the intro. Yes, yes, I, th- I think that was the smart, <laughs> the smart choice. Because I can't describe a melodrama as melodramatic. That feels redundant. Before we talk more about uh, how the game works and and such, I'd like to know where where it came from. Where did the uh, inspiration for Final Bid or or even its uh, predecessor uh, when it was just Laws Out? What happened there? What what is <laughs> what's the genesis of this game slash games? It came from. A, sh- a Korean game show called The Genius, specifically season one, I believe episode eight, possibly episode nine, one of those two, um, called The Expression Auction. The Genius is a show where people compete playing really interesting tabletop games. If you want to get into game design, I highly recommend watching at least the first season of it. It's all on YouTube, although it's a little hard to find because it's named weird to avoid copyright. Uh, claim mm. taking it down. But the expression auction was one where people bid on points and you wanted to have the most points at the end of the game. But if you did not make a math expression, you did not count. Um, so like if you get a plus sign and a minus sign, but only two numbers, that can't make a, that can't make a whole thing. You gotta get, you gotta get enough numbers and symbols in order to make a math expression. And I, I would assume a correct one. Yes. Preferably a legal one, preferably as big as possible, so you win. <laughs> okay, so so that got uh, the idea of people sitting around and bidding things knocking around in your head. Then. Yeah, I was trying to think of like how I could use it for a gameplay resolution mechanic because it was really fun. Um, at this before I even had the idea of it being like a scene based film thing that came out later, just as sort of a necessity of how the auction ended up working once I wrote out mm-hmm, mechanics mm-hmm. for it. Um, because an auction doesn't work unless you have a limited amount of resources to bid with. Right. Like, you need to you need to eventually run out. Otherwise, bidding doesn't matter too much. So the fact that it became a short film-based game came out after that because I realized, oh, this should only go for a few hours and then be done. I would love to see someone at a real, like, art auction not understand that. <laughs> like, like, they win some lost Goya for $50 million, and then they're like, Haha, that was fun, I'm gonna go home now. Like, wait, what, you, that was, that was real? <laughs> you, you, you think I meant that? I feel like that's happened on TV a few times. <laughs> Uh, I, th- I think you've said before that uh, Laws Out, the uh, original Western-only iteration, uh, was just like one feverish weekend of, of just getting yeah. ideas out and then noticing that by the end, it pretty much works. I wrote it over like a three-day Thanksgiving weekend, literally. Uh-huh. Um, my grandparents didn't have internet that weekend and I was bored out of my mind and I was like, you know, thinking about <laughs> genius... 
I just stayed up all night and wrote it out um, with a couple of typos, a couple of mechanics I ended up revising in the new edition because that's just how things go when you have four years to look back at a thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, why why go back? What what brought you uh, back to it to make those revisions and the the expansion? Like, how many books are? Uh, how many films are in this? There are six, five that I wrote, one that you wrote. So it's six times the game it used to be. Ne- never mind the <laughs> those improvements you mentioned. Well, what I originally was planning to do was maybe release a new film for it every year afterwards. About. Um, but that didn't pan out, as you know. Uh, so there would have been, like, a sci-fi one that came out maybe a year, year and a half after. And I just ended up never doing that. I always wanted to make more of it. Um, Rather just saving up to... to... Yeah. And I eventually got to the point where I was like, you know what? I should just sit down and commit and do it. So I did a Kickstarter in it. It funded. And thank you to uh, all the listeners who uh, pitched in on that. Yes, I appreciate it very much. Uh, I would not still have my apartment without that Kickstarter funding. So that's We nice. both appreciate it. I got an advance. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never gotten an advance before. <laughs> it's true. The movie posters I got for it are so beautiful. <laughs> I, I have a personal favorite. Oh, but yeah, I, I can guess. It might be the Glenn Book run one that Maddie made. It's gorgeous. But but before we get into Glenbrook itself, I, I have one more question, one one more bit of prelude. Would you mind? Uh, we're we're going to be talking about a lot of mechanics when we talk about mm. these playbooks. Just some quick like glossary term overviews. When, when I talk about say a playbook's rise or a, a, a winning bid, what what am I talking about? Okay, if you want to go to page ninety nine of the PDF that you have. <laughs> the very last and, page. And again, any of you who are Kickstarter backers have yes. the same... Uh, <laughs> or you'll be able to buy it PDF in to a follow few weeks. Along. Or yes, you'll be able to buy it very shortly. Yes. There is an order of play that I wrote up at the end. Because, to make that a little easier, um, basically, everyone picks a role from a film. Each film has eight roles to choose from. So you can play as different things. Um, the roles are things like the detective, or the rebel, or the geek... The the first one wasn't a Glenbrook one, but yeah, it just came two to out mind of three. first. Two out of three were. After you do that, you introduce your characters to each other with some intro scenes that set the movie. There are minor scenes and major scenes. After every major scene, every player gets a chance to set a minor scene. Your major scene can be a rise or a fall. Rising actions add to the story, and falling actions uh narrow the story. They like take away from the scope, focus mm-hmm. up pretty much. Th- Right, uh, right. Which is one of the bigger changes since the first edition. Right, because before, Rise and Fall were more good thing, bad thing. Yeah. Rather than opening and closing the breadth of the story. Yes, and the, the new version is way more open-ended and let me do some sillier things with them. Like some of the Rises and Falls, when I got to Dramatis personally, which is the one I wrote, the film I wrote last, get pretty silly. Um, <laughs> I got a little inspired when I finally finished those. After enough major scenes have happened, you can do a final major scene called the climax, and then everyone gets an epilogue scene for their characters to describe what happened afterwards. And that's the that's the flow of the game. And before each of these scenes, there is an auction where people are, are bidding things, and the winner gets uh, narrative control over the scene, yes. correct? When you okay. start a scene, the what player... Are you, what are you bidding? Like, are, are we playing for cash? Is, is this a high rollers RPG? <laughs> um, 
First, let's talk about the stakes, though. Because when you start a scene, the players starting the scene describe it however they want, who's there, what's going on, all that. But then the winner of the bid decides how the scene ends. But what you bid is a list of resources that each player, or each role has, along with a... You can make up more stuff. Um, your bid can be anything that you have. So you could bid, say, for the athlete, you could bid a trophy case to be all like, hey, to show off to your friends about how good you are at sports or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's other ones like an immaculate physique, a flock of fans, your loyal team, your speed and strength, all things that the athlete has going for them that make them cool and do good at stuff. You can use those in order to try and win the scene. Once everyone has placed their bids, um, everyone gets to vote on who think placed the best bid. What counts as the best bid varies by movie, but the relevant one for Glenbrook is whether they're chaotic or earnest. So bids that make things more wild and bids that are heartfelt and emotional um, are, the, are the best bids for Glenbrook. And when you win, you can either cause harm to someone, which means that they have to make a bid based on what you do to them, um, and they lose whatever they bid, but without any benefit for losing it. They just don't have that anymore, or now they have a broken leg, or whatever. Or you can seize resources, which lets you write another resource on your sheet for you to use later. Mm. So your starting list of ten resources will expand a little bit over the film. Right. Expand and contract and be personalized. So over yes. the course of the of the film, you, you are not this generic, nameless... Uh, athlete i guess to, to keep going with the mm -hmm. first one alphabetically yeah <laughs> but but you are a, a specific person with your own you know lived experience and and successes and failures yes th that are written on your sheet when, when i play this game i love to uh print up sheets and and hand them out and then everybody basically gets like a souvenir of their game, sort of like a, a roadmap of the story you told, uh, at least about your character. Yeah, the final game's printouts that I finished only a couple weeks ago. Um, actually, I think I finished the first one only like a week and a half ago. So they're really recent, but they're really <laughs> good for that, I think. They give you a space to record all your bids and all your resources and everything you gain. So you literally have your entire character's story arc written down in front of you from play. Mm -hmm. There is one other thing that every role has and also every film has that we haven't discussed yet. Their powers. Yes. Every film has a unique rule that applies to everybody that changes basically the entire setting around it. And they mm -hmm. these are all over the place for the things that they can do. <laughs> like the spy movie gives everyone sneaking tokens that you can use to just escape from a scene. I'm out. I'm gone. Or they can use it to spy on other people and steal information. Um, the Havoc engine, everyone gets a robot part or a G modification, which is a, re a special resource they can write down their sheet and bid as often as they want. And that's the, the cyberpunk dystopia one. Yes. Yes. One of my favorites is the Xenohunter one, the sci-fi horror one. Which adds just a note card to the middle of the table that everyone gets for the first half of the movie, just gets a right setting info on, and then people can bid those at the end of the movie. Ah. Uh, in the back uh -huh. half. So you, you figure out stuff about the setting, like, oh, uh, our engines run on, like, monster teeth or whatever. 
So we gotta <laughs> kill monsters so our engines can keep working. And then you can put down monster pe- teeth fuel in your note card and then use that later for whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As you do. And then each playbook also has a unique power that lets them do other stuff like that, but only for them. And the athlete, to continue with that, uh, is a particularly good one, because their power is the Xenohunter power for themselves only. They get an (laughs) extra playbook that they can write resources on, and anyone on their team, anyone on the athlete's side can use those resources, not just the athlete. But if you're not on their team, they are barred to you. It's all about teamwork, baby. Mm -hmm. Makes a dream work. You gotta be a playmaker, which is the name of that power. (laughs) And then the unique rule for Glenbrook, you did a really good job with this one, by the way. I like it a lot. Um, Well, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let's talk about Glenbrook then in detail. Let's get to the meat and potatoes of this episode that uh, a plurality of our audience, at least uh, the ones who saw the poll and participated, that's why you should follow us on social media. Uh, We're interested in hearing (laughs) at sex underscore Archie. (laughs) Actually, yeah, that's the one where the poll was. Yep. Glenbrook. Let's start with the title. This was a placeholder title that I all for a long time I thought to myself, I'll come up with something better. And it's just one of those things that everybody around me liked it more than I did. So then I decided, no, I'm not going to come up with anything better. The thing that I think might have been better might actually turn out to be worse. (laughs) (laughs) It's how it goes. Sometimes a name just sticks, you know? Sometimes, yeah. So Glenbrook is uh, a sort of wordplay on Riverdale. A brook is a river ish a glen is a dale ish and uh it is also an actual school in suburban illinois uh like so many uh uh of the the films that you might think about in this genre are are set in either real or fictional suburbs of chicago that checks out Shermer is the most famous fictional suburb of chicago i'd say (laughs) let's talk about maddie's art though while we're going from top to bottom uh, Maddie Gonzalez, uh, uh, artist extraordinaire. Uh, welcome to Wonderland, coming from uh, Boom Studios or Boom Box, one of the Boom imprints uh, right now. Love that book. At Maddie underscore GZLZ while we're on our Twitter talks. <laughs> Maddie is super great. While we're plugging the socials. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes, she is. And this art uh, exemplifies it. Another skill I'd never needed before and suddenly had to decide I I had ideas about art direction. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If I remember right, in the original, it wasn't a stage play, but you interpreted the sketch as a stage play. And Maddie's like, oh, I like that better. (laughs) So that's what it became. Yeah, I mean, it's it's about layers of artifice, right? It's yeah. about people pretending and projecting. And, I mean, games in play are all about navigating multiple layers of reality. And then so many of the stories that come out of this game and this genre are also about, you know, uh, mistaken identity. And, I mean, just what would 10 things I hate about you be without someone faking a relationship that becomes a real relationship and et cetera, et cetera. Faking a relationship until it becomes a real relationship is one of the best tropes. Yeah. I'm a fan. <laughs> um. I, I, I like how um, significant 
the uh, audience is that and that the audience is represented by everybody uh, like live stream, Snapchatting, whatever is about to happen between <laughs> these people with a knife and a hammer. Yeah, who are putting on smiling faces to each other, but are very clearly <laughs> ready to break. So good. So good. I This show is all about describing visual media, but it feels even weirder to do it with a still image for some reason. <laughs> so I guess I'm going to move on. <laughs> yeah. The nature of movie posters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we talked about how winning bids are uh, either chaotic or earnest. Uh, that is something that I really believe about this genre. Regular Sex Archie listeners will know all about that and why I think that uh, a Riverdale-based game or a Riverdale-inspired game also has a claim to uh, be inspired by the breadth of all of its predecessors, how, how I see it as... Uh, a synthesis of many, many things that came before. Uh, so let's get to the unique rule, Secrets and Sins, which is the first explicit, I guess, name aside, Riverdale callout in the rules. <laughs> As a non-viewer, uh, Jacob, a game called Secrets and Sins has showed up twice in the show so far. Oh, is this the D&D &D thing? No, this is the Truth or Dare thing, except it's oh, not Truth right. or Dare. Everybody just gossips out loud to large groups of people, and there seem to be no rules or no purpose except to just, like, throw shade at people at parties. <laughs> I don't understand. That sounds terrible, but... it's Imagine truth or dare without dares or questions. You just go around in a circle and say yeah, what's the... bad things you did or you know others did. <laughs> It feels like less of a game and more of like um exactly like it's, an icebreaker. It's that not went a game, wrong. but now it is. <laughs> now it is. Uh, but the way it works is when a, two characters share a moment of intimacy, as defined by the group, uh, that there there are many different kinds. Yes, characters will learn one another's vulnerability, and their players will write that as a resource they seize on their sheet. And then once that uh, is bid. Uh, the character who bids it may either seize resources for uh, the, the person whose vulnerability it is or uh, cause harm to them from afar. Yeah. Basically, whether you tell everyone about their terrible secret or whether you like use that in order to make them feel better in some right. way, whether you cover for them. If you tell people, is it to uh, uh, just, like, shake the ground from beneath them on their way to destruction? Or is it to help build them up because they, they could really use the help? Like, do you tell the police about the princess's drug addiction? Or do you get staged intervention with their friends? <laughs> Uh, this came from me knocking my head against wanting to do a, a prisoner's dilemma style thing with this sort of setup and realizing it was everything came out too complicated. So you just get to pick. You just just do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing I was definitely running to a little bit while writing unique rules, too, is it's really easy to make them complicated. Mm -hmm, and they kind of mm -hmm. don't need to be like the laws out one is stupid, simple. It's just during the climax, somebody dies. Yes. Somebody always dies. Yeah. Uh, as as we go through these playbooks, there are a lot. There there are some where I gave in to the urge to be fiddly, and there's one that that uh, jumps out to mind immediately. That's dead simple. Yeah. 
So yeah, let, let's go to those sheets. We've talked about the athlete a lot. I, I feel like we've covered them. There is no direct Riverdale parallel, but like you know the type. Uh, yeah, they're in every other teen drama. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe Moose, if Moose were a regular, <laughs> might might be described by this playbook. But Moose we'll is never an extremely know. athlete name, at least. We'll never know <laughs> what happened to Marmaduke Moose Mason. That's the most athlete name I've ever heard. I say while recording an episode where I know for a fact he, he's a, a much more important character than on any gi- other given week. Come home, dearest wife. I wish to watch the television with you. <laughs> we, we talked about uh, the playmaker power that, that gives the athlete and the whole team an extra set of resources to, to collaborate with. Uh, but for their rise, they get to pick out another character and add them to the team, whether they like it or not. Yep, you're on my side now. Teammates got to stick together. They have the ability to show up in scenes together uh, and bypass some of the cost of doing that and other teamly things. But for the big game, uh, the fall, it is a solo scene where you, uh, where the athlete either wins or loses. And if they win, they win big. And if they lose, they fucking lose. Yeah. Uh, uh. Um, we actually haven't talked about solo scenes yet, but... Yeah, they are an important part of the ga- how the game functions because they basically let you recharge um, during a solo scene. You get to decide how it begins and how it ends, but you can only seize resources. You can't hurt anybody when you're by yourself. <laughs> they're they're good for like monologues and processing, or just to do a, a little side scene, like oh, they investigate the place I said I was going to investigate, and then I get the I get the important clue. That's the resource I'm seizing. That kind of thing. Right. Right. So let's move on then. The opposite of the athlete, the geek. The, the geek is also another thing that's not Riverdale specific. It's more general, especially from, you know, my 80s sources. But trying to update that uh, and make it less toxic, like, man, there's a lot of reasons 16 Candles is hard to watch. But <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall is among them. He's a fantastic actor, but his character is bad. Maybe the second worst character in the movie. The thing this playbook most reminds me of is um, the video game Bully. One of the factions at the school are the geeks, and they are all literally this exact thing. Yeah. <laughs> all the way through. Every single person in that faction is this playbook. And just think, I didn't have to deny people overtime pay in order to do this. <laughs> Take that, Rockstar. Uh, so their power is basically the, the ability to state facts. Uh, th- this is a game where there will probably be mysteries. There will probably be unknowns. And the geek's power lets them just state uh, things that become objective truths. And they don't have to justify how they know it. They may choose to. It might make a more interesting story. But you can just know. Yeah. It's called Wait, You Didn't Know That, which is exactly right. It's (laughs) the most common line. Mm -hmm. What do you mean you didn't know that? How did you not know the water fountains have fluoride in them? How did you not know that they were cheating on them? Or that an orc has 27 hit points? 
And now it's true within the uh, the movie. Mm -hmm. Orcs have 27 hit points. Yeah. What you do with that is really up to you. (laughs) I'm I'm struggling to find a reason why it's important, but, you know, it's not my game. It's yours. Yeah. (laughs) Their rise is that uh, they are trying to climb out uh, of the bottom rung. Uh, trying to to uh, become a social well climber uh, in, in you know click terms, uh, and the for that round of scenes, it is about whether your plan succeeds or fails. Yeah, revenge of the nerd. You set up a scam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it goes well. Probably doesn't. They rarely do. Uh, and their fall is is hidden talent, which is another placeholder name that I just. Just think of every, like, talent show scene. Think of every uh, time where, like, someone goes to the nerd's house and they actually like really cool underground music. Uh, anything like that. Uh, you get a solo scene to, to prove that there is something very cool about you. And then you can prove it later. Yeah, and, th- and then you get to trade on that in the future. Uh, but I think where uh this goes from that classic old-fashioned kind of nerd to something a bit more well-rounded and more present is in the resources yes the nerd the geek has some very good resources yeah yeah they're they're less specifically about whatever the fuck headgear john cusack was wearing in pretty in pink uh, and, and shirts with jokes nobody gets. Yeah, and, and it's more about being into something a lot, whatever it is. Your your geek could be a K-pop stan. You're, I mean, your geek could be an athlete that's also really into sabermetrics. Like, yeah, you have the best fantasy football team. The precise trade history of the Dallas Stars. Like, that, that might be that what they're a geek thing. about, yeah. But one that I I was particularly pleased with myself about was close friends that live out of state, which I think is incredibly relatable. Yeah. (laughs) Including in my own personal life. Yeah. The ability to bid that in a scene and you have the line in your pocket, oh, oh, you only think I don't have friends because you're only looking at our town. Yeah. But I've got like 30 friends. I have a lot of really good, really close friends. We hang out all the time in Final Fantasy 15, but it still fucking counts. It'd be really hard to hang out in 15. It's 14. 14's the MMO. Uh, the mod community is doing some fantastic things. <laughs> anyway, the faculty. We're going to move on to the faculty. A lot of things in here would make you think that there's a lot of uh, Breakfast Club. That's just names. Almost entirely just names, except for this sheet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, the thing that this playbook speaks to me the most about is um, the rival teacher character and great teacher Onizuka. Okay, okay. This is really I'm old going to man assume who's that's the an main anime. character's boss. It is a manga and an anime. He's a really old man who's really set in his ways, and he's like the main character's boss, and it keeps wanting to get him fired, but can't because he doesn't have a good enough reason. And his home life sucks, but he's got a really nice car that he's super proud of. <laughs> And those are both things that are on this sheet as resources. Your handsome sedan, your home where you have no power. (laughs) Your classroom where you have absolute power. 
That's the faculty. To, to skip ahead one, because of a quirk of the alphabet, I think uh, the faculty and the parent are just the carrot and the stick. Like, uh, yeah, they're I, very related. I never way. think of these uh, role titles as strictly prescriptive. Uh, yes. In fact, I always had the idea in the back of my head that Glenbrook would make for a fantastic uh, game set in an NFL locker room. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could work. Where you have all of these strong personalities that are stuck together because it's their job, but one of them is just fucking and the everything would up. Be the coach, and the yeah, faculty would be the coach or the owner, and the parent might might be a, a coach or an assistant coach or a team captain. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the faculty specifically has the power of placing anyone in detention, which just takes them out of the story for a little while. Player with detention cannot win a scene where mm -hmm. the faculty is I mean, present, and they can't leave detention until they bid it. It, it takes them out of uh, power. They, it's it's yeah. not like a, a skip-a-turn thing in Uno. That would suck. It's the flexing of... Legitimate on paper, yet uh, uh, yet senseless authority. Just it can also be a skip a turn, but you get to choose when you do. Yes, because when yes. you bid detention, that removes you from the scene you bid it in. So you can use it to run away from a scene you don't want to be in. That's true. That's true. Or just like, mm, it wouldn't make sense for me to be here. Why don't I just? <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna be in detention for yeah. this one. You you have your you know tearful confession on top of the the dam holding back the reservoir. Meanwhile, we we have a cut to my character uh, staring at the ceiling, uh, balancing a pencil on his upper lip. Yeah, <laughs> there. It's not all bad. We have the rise where they uh, pick a, a character to be a mentee, uh, and then you set out a path for them in life. Yes, which you want again, to help them be their best self could easily be negative. <laughs> you could yeah. still play that as something a bad guy does, or Sandman in Easy A. Thomas Hayden Church—that's the name. You can be all night, all might, trying to raise Midoriya, or you can be. Well, actually, that'd be spoilers for that series. Let's not. I won't do that. <laughs> Some of your listeners might listen to my probably, or watch my Hero Academia. That seems likely. And and then we get to the fall, which is yes, the the single most breakfast clubby thing. Get the horns. That is just that that argument uh, with <laughs> Judd Nelson, uh, where the the faculty can just arbitrarily uh, cause harm to another character as many times as they want, but they get a harm back that many times minus one. Yep. <laughs> the more the more you. Lay out the pain, the more they get to dish back to you. Mm -hmm. Which can add up very fast, because again, when you cause harm, they just have to place a bid that, like, matches the harm. Like, if you, if you hit smack someone, maybe they lose shame. It's up to the, up to the person receiving the harm, so it can add up very fast. Uh, and then resources are, uh, we, we've talked about a few, but I really like the, the tension they put up between all the, the respectability and the, the hard and soft power that comes from from being mm. 
uh, in the administration. But as soon as you leave school, everything outside of you know whatever that that uh, position is just shows how hollow it is anywhere else. A thing I like to do with resources, um, which has happened a couple times in Glenbrook because I helped fill out a couple of them. Yeah. Um, I like to pair resources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Write one thing and then write something related to that. Your classroom, where you have absolute power and authority, followed by your home, where you have no power and authority. One I like is a budget you cannot exceed. Because yes. just having a budget at all, uh, when put up next to your average teenager, is an incredible amount of power. Except there is some there. There's a school board that is breathing there's down a your hard neck. Hard limit. <laughs> you you do not have a lot of money. Just more money than everyone else. <laughs> Except the princess. But we'll get to them in two playbooks. Let's not leapfrog the parent. Yeah. Uh, who has the power of parental supervision, which is another one where you, you pick out a buddy. You're going to see a couple recurring themes. I like picking out a buddy that will hopefully, in practice, people will uh, pick out chains where you have these strange triangles or, or quadrangles or, or yeah. crossover things, a, a web of uh, one-sided uh, relationships. That's something you did a fair bit in Glenbrook that I think I only did one time outside of this one with the hunter who has someone that they want to kill and they get to pick them at the beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. And that's not quite the same thing. Not quite. Not <laughs> quite. Uh, another thing I like quite a bit uh, is writing things on your sheet and writing things on the sheets of others. Because as yes. a player, something I love to do in this game is going off menu for my resources. It's it's very fun when you get creative. Things can get crazy fast. So so a lot of these things are me encouraging uh, players to uh, do that behavior that I find fun personally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to go back to the the parental supervision, uh, the parent picks someone they're responsible for, and then they protect them. Nobody can hurt them except you. Yes. Yes. And this is, I mean, there's a lot of parents that went into the parent, but this is very much Fred Andrews. This is Fred Andrews and also the useless drunk dad from uh, Pretty in Pink. Um, the person you're responsible for can rebel, which makes you lose this power until they come back on their own. <laughs> you can't protect someone who refuses to have anything to do with you. Which is a subplot in Riverdale right now after I wrote this. <laughs> uh, yeah, you finished this like two months ago, I want to say. Yeah, somewhere something there. like that. And the the rise and fall are uh, sort of like you were saying with what you'd like to do with resources. They are mirrors of one another. The the rise, I'm not who I'm used I'm not yeah. who I used to be is about the parent uh, getting down on themselves and, and finding that they just can't do the job right, at least in their own eyes. Uh, and then the fall, the kids are all right, is them coming around to, to see that actually I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah. My, my kid is nearly an adult, so I'm only here for like that 10%. I actually did a good enough job that they've got the other 80, 90, fine. Those are both really good stories that I like to watch, so I... Yeah, I try to facilitate them, which which is really the the point of the roles, pretty much as a concept, mm -hmm. is to just 
do that. This is a cool thing I like to see in movies. How would I have that play out? Uh, I would like to thank you again on the record for adding dad jokes to the resources, <laughs> uh, specifically wisdom sayings and jokes that are way out of date. Yeah, I, I originally had wisdoms and sayings that are out of date because I was thinking of Uncle Tito from Rocket Power. Uh-huh. Realized, no, no, I need jokes too. <laughs> so, so we teased it, but uh, yes, there is a book called The Princess, and yes, it is Cheryl. Uh, it, it is also Steph from uh, Pretty in Pink. I fucking love Pretty in Pink, y'all. It is the... also extremely powerful. Do not fuck with the princess. <laughs> it is also Cher from Clueless. But yes, the the power. One of your favorite powers. You've said. Why don't Why don't you uh, name the power and then describe it? Trust my funds, which is not its <laughs> original name, but it's a really good. Re- I don't even remember the old name anymore because this is such a better one. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, Trust my funds. Once per ante, you can place a raise that is one better than something someone else has bid. This comes out of thin air. You do not need to have it on your sheets. Someone bids the family van, you bid your luxury car. Someone bids their smart tuxedo, you bid your designer gown from Paris. You just one-up somebody. Mm-hmm. Because you are petty and powerful. I like one example that I had in a draft that did not make the final draft where like if somebody bids like a priceless work of art, you bid an entire gallery show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. I have all the Picassos. Now, the, the rise is uh, something that a lot of the characters I mentioned have in common. It's also a little bit of carry. Uh, this could be beautiful, which is the first, I think, first that I've noticed reading through explicit Heather's reference. Someone does not fit in the social order. You, you. It's another one where you pick a buddy, uh, and but you're kind either of. trying to make them in your own image or utterly destroy them. Yeah, this. Um, was I think one of those cases where you were trying to get a little too fiddly at first and I dialed it back a little because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. this rise was very complicated it was almost its own power like a whole playbook could have been built around it yeah, um, yeah. so I made it slightly simpler yeah I, I wanted to have like I, I mentioned Cher in Clueless like her doing the, the sort of positive at least in her eyes uh, uh, makeover of Ty but also the ability for all these, you know, petty country club assholes to just wreck people because they can, which is kind yeah. of what you expect. And and I think I hit on something when I decided, oh, those can be the same thing. They're essentially the same thing. Yes. Yeah. How it used to work is you were going to make them have to do, like, share several scenes with their target and set basically set up a get the ball rolling before anything happened out of it. Yeah, yeah. And then there was a thing where it's like it is now, but it you had to uh, place a winning bid with them multiple times. But now it's just one. Now it's just one. Because honestly, sometimes people don't... can go. You can go an entire movie without winning a bid and still have a good time and do and like yeah, succeed yeah. because of the nature of the game. Like I played with um, the Cadet one game, which is from the, the sci-fi one. And I don't, I didn't win a single bid. Um, <laughs> however, I still won the game <laughs> at the end. There were so many Benny clones. So you won the one. Well, no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't even win the climax or anything. <laughs> I never won a single bid. I just had the best ending out of everybody. Okay. Okay. 
I started a biker gang with 500 copies of myself. Nice. Uh, fall, the mood for chaos. Yes, that is a direct quote from Cheryl Blossom, uh, which is if, if the rise can be played as uh, Chris's story from Carrie, uh, the fall can be Carrie's story in Carrie. <laughs> you have not been getting the respect you deserve. Set a scene with everyone that has wronged you. And you may cause harm to all of them. <laughs> if you win. If you place a winning bid. Yeah. But a losing bid, you're still going to, to cause harm to the ringleader. Or who, whoever wins. Which yeah. is hopefully the person that has wronged you most. They're predicting how this might go with just like story structure. Which is something I love about a final bid. Is that it does force stories into a recognizable shape both by using uh, recognizable archetypes, but also just how by playing into these roles, your bids carry more weight at the table. Yes. The, the person who is likely to win that would either be uh, the princess or the person who everyone around sees like, oh, you're betting that? Whoa. Which is probably the person who has done the most wrong or most perceived wrong. Yeah. If you're willing to go all in on this kind of scene, you probably did something to deserve it. <laughs> or the perception. Like, you, you yeah. can see where there, there is a story where this is a, a villainous princess who is lashing out at someone who's only trying to, to do right by the community. Yeah. But in a way that, you know, irks them. This playbook has another paired bid that I like. Uh, the hottest car in town and the hottest bod in town. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, this is definitely a CW show. They all have the hottest bot in town. Well, yeah, but you're the one who gets to write it on the piece of paper to say, yeah. I'm the best. You're the one that everyone acts up as mm -hmm. the hottest bot in town. Mm -hmm. So even though Jughead is inexplicably sexy, we don't act like he's sexy, you know? I do, goddammit. <laughs> well, uh. yeah, but you're the audience. <laughs> So then we were getting to the rebel. Uh, the the second place uh, in, in that uh, poll earlier today was talking about Heather's and Heather's the musical in, ante in anticipation of the upcoming uh, Riverdale Heather's musical episode. So uh, we're going to obliquely do that because the rebel is just JD. It's just JD from Heather's. It's also like... 10 people I knew in high school. Right, right. <laughs> like, there, there's a reason that character is so recognizable and connects with people and has had so many imitators because yeah. it is an extrapolation. It's an exaggeration of a really recognizable type. The, the name of the rise and fall are quotes from JD. Uh, okay, I was wondering because I didn't recognize them. Okay. So that makes sense. Okay. I figured they had to be quotes, which is why I didn't mess with them at all. Mm -hmm. But they, they seemed a little out of nowhere to me. The plan was to be like, okay, the Rebel's going to have a little uh, James Dean. The, the Rebel's going to be where I do have a little Judd Nelson, because despite not being that great, The Breakfast Club is so mm -hmm. foundational to people's image of this this genre and subgenre. Like Honestly... It Glenbrook is perfect for running a breakfast club game because yeah, yeah. everyone is there. But it is because 
I was drawing inspiration from where those types I think are done better yeah. in, in other things that, exactly. that are either one step away. Again, I love Pretty in Pink or many steps away. <laughs> but yes, the, the Rebel's power is great. This is another one of your favorites, I know, so I'll let you take it. Um, sticky Fingers, the end of the scene where you place a losing bid, you may seize resources. Uh, you take something someone else bid during the scene. So if the princess bids that really cool, the hottest car in town, you didn't win the scene, but you can drive off in her car anyway. <laughs> They're a really good matched pair, if especially if they both use their power in a scene in that yeah. way. Uh, but the, the rise is one of the fiddlier ones, but I do enjoy it. Uh, it's called Chaos Killed the Dinosaurs. At least listen to the cast recording, dude. You got... <laughs> <laughs> It's a good line. <laughs> Confession. Before I put pen to paper, but after I had committed, I had not yet watched Heathers. I know Maddie really loves yes, Heathers. And she's part of the reason I'm like, well, I, I have to do at least one more bit of research before I start. And then like, bam, there it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so for this rise, you call everyone a mindless cog and then give them that as a resource. And a resource that uh, either they or you can bid. Yes. And anytime it is bid off someone's sheet, they must in that scene act in a way to uh, 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 act against or, or dismantle against the, the established yeah. order. <laughs> like you could get uh, your evil vice principal uh, using the faculty book who's just been on your butt the whole movie to then just like do something and maybe their player decides to quit their job and move to the Bahamas yeah, and become um, a, a Caribbean freegan. <laughs> the rebel is fun because they could fit right into like Xeno Hunter or not Xeno Hunter. Um, the end, the havoc engine, the cyberpunk one. Yes. Yes. You could just, you could just use chaos, kill the dinosaurs on that and it fits in perfectly. Mm-hmm. Most of the resource seats on Glenbrook are a little like, quote-unquote weaker than resources of other groups just because other games have more people with bombs and guns yes um or are scary monsters and things like that and the glenbrook ones mostly don't that i think is uh an illustration of the different focus between yes. glenbrook and the other five films uh because there, there are a few with weapons i tried so many times to convince you to let the princess have a, a just totally extra antique hunting rifle i ended up removing it partially because of trust my funds yeah yeah she can just have a better gun yeah like if if she needs to pull a gun she has a better gun than yours that is true that is true but if you wanted to use emotions as a weapon in another film i think using a glenbrook sheet will set you up in yeah. a really good position over almost any other playbook. Like, you won't be playing as an action hero type, which a lot of the films, other films favor, but you can definitely still make an impact as, like, supporting cast with any mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. playbooks. You'll have less a of a body count, but you will break some hearts. Yes. <laughs> break more hearts, um, less arms, less skulls. The Rebel is unique among all playbooks and it's and that it's the only one where all of its resources fit on five lines it's the only one where everything fits in two columns they're long on action short on word uh so long on action that they can die (laughs) 
<laughs> and take yeah. anything else down with them. Yep. Which is one of the two really simple falls make an extreme impression. It is a very simple fall. It does the job. You you definitely you take fall. someone with you. Yeah, or something. That mm-hmm. that darn mall, the edifice of uh, a suburban rot and consumerism, will collapse with you. And I can't think of any ways where that's um where that goes well for the world <laughs> at large. Of course not. That fall just is a bad time for everybody which is what makes it great they're the rebel not the not the revolutionary they, they don't not make the anything next better. door the next role who is of the nicest person yes uh my, my goal in this was to, to not just be your average boy next door and girl next door it was also to be uh the the sort of uh brundlefly fusion of archie and betty yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems right. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's the most upbeat person. Like, that super positive person. Yeah, yeah. You inspire people to be their best selves is the first line of their power. And there's still ways where you can play this in a negative way. Maybe you're inspiring people through, like, oh, man, even they're having this hard time. I need to step up, you know? Yeah. There there are many paths to do that. But that's that's the thing you do. You inspire people to be their best selves. They have probably the most powerful resource um, in all of these playbooks, uh, confidence and self-worth. <laughs> and they can give other people confidence. That's their power. Mm-hmm. When they place a losing bid, they can give confidence, kindness, or inspiration to somebody else in the scene who placed a losing bid. So they work best in crowded scenes. They want to be where a lot of people are so they can pick up the losers and help them get on top. And in fact, their rise makes a scene where everyone is. Everyone has to buy in. Uh, they have the, the rise that causes the great big house party scene in every yes. uh, teen movie and every fourth episode of a, a teen drama TV <laughs> show. And uh, also you force two people to play Secrets and Sins. Yes. I, I also like uh, uh, an edit you did when when I first came up with this. I put in brackets. If not, if using this sheet outside of Glenbrook, come up with something else cool instead of triggering secrets and sins. And you're like, no, if using this out of Glenbrook, you trigger secrets and sins anyway. Yes. <laughs> this rise triggers secrets and sins anyway. The rule is on page eighty one. Go go read it, buddy. That was that was a good message of be be less fiddly. If if it works, it works. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's fun as a one off, you know. Yeah, yeah. Their their fall is the scene that I've been wanting from Archie all the time, but I think Betty has done a time or two. You make amends where they they just make it better. They they go and they find out what went wrong and what can fix it, and they try to make that happen. They may not succeed, but they're gonna try. You try to apologize and smooth things over, which is something that a lot of people in these types of things need to do more of. Mm-hmm. This has one of my favorite uh, paired resources here, too. The team next door has an innocent crush and a dark desire. <laughs> yes. And that dark desire is their only hint of not being the absolute most upbeat person all of the time. Innocent crush. That's chapter one, Betty. Dark Desire, Chapter 3, Betty. The Sticky Maple. That Sticky Maple. Trust me, the regular listeners are loving this. Uh. Yeah, I'm sure they all understand. I sure don't. (laughs) The Sticky Wicket, perhaps? 
Um, no, 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 no. And then we get to the weirdo. The weirdo is fucking Jughead. <laughs> yeah, it it's the only person it can be. He has a speech about it. That's one of the only, like, three things I know about Archie, aside from that the D&D game is bad. The Rise is is named for that speech. I don't want to fit in. They don't understand you, and they couldn't if they tried. And that's the reason the, the weirdo was one of the ones that took longest to write. I was afraid of getting too autobiographical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, high school sucked, and I only made it harder on myself. It also, like, barely fits on the page, but that's partially because we decided to write a paragraph about the X-Guard. Yes, yes, because of their power. Uh, yeah. Their power is one that, uh, of, of all of the ones that has you messing with another person's character, is the one that has the most potential, if someone wanted to use it poorly, to be used poorly. Uh, you get to determine, uh, in any scene where you place a winning bid, uh, another character's secret yes you decide the secret not their player or anyone else and you do this in addition to causing harm or seizing resources so that is really cool and uh will will make this character someone who's mixing things up and and revealing dark truths but if it's not the kind of dark that everyone at the table is comfortable with that can yeah. that can make some problems so so this we power wanted needs to, a little responsibility we wanted to help empower people to like your your friends your friends yeah. coming together as limit? a team to have fun the other big limit on it is you can only hold one secret per player. You can't pile up on somebody with more yeah. and more dark secrets. You just got one per person. It's it's only one movie, after all. Save that for the sequel. Yeah. Uh, also, you probably aren't going to place too many winning bids anyway. Like, you'll place a few, probably. The weirdo isn't in the worst place to win scenes. They're mm -hmm. definitely chaotic. Their fall is another one that's incredibly simple you just fucking leave you leave yeah. town you, you get out goodbye that's the end. and you give everyone who misses you the resource abandoned mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you can take anyone with you anyone that chooses to go with you with yep. you of course that doesn't take you out of the game again mm -hmm. uh you can be present non-physically you, you're probably playing in a game that has telephones uh, and texting. Or you might just go set scenes about your road trip. Yeah, or uh, some of the, the guides guidance you have in the game already about, like, what happens if my character dies? Well, you can yes. still bet bids to, to be present in scenes that relate to your memory or legacy or flashbacks. You can get non-chronological with it. There's a lot you can do, even if you're not actually there. I, I do like that they, uh, they're one with multiple choice resources. Yes. Uh, and the, the signature accessory, the bizarre meal, and an unfinished work are all very Jughead. But they're also very, again, Ali Sheedy in Breakfast Club. And uh, the, the kid who grew up to be in uh, the Hunger Games from American Beauty. Like. Yeah. A signature accessory is explicitly only there because of Jughead's dumb hat. So so that's basically step by step. Oh, uh, part two of something that I uh, was trying to segue into, but then we got uh, quicker to business. The song 17 off the uh, Heather's The Musical is uh, what I wanted this game to be in three minutes and change. Okay. Uh, 
I will Google that and listen to it after. But I'll talk more about that with Elena in a few weeks. <laughs> One thing that I enjoy that I, I know we've mentioned offhandedly, but I don't know if we've talked about uh, specifically, explicitly, is the ability to to mix and match, to take roles out of the, mm-hmm. uh, the film they're expressly written for and put them in another. Uh, and I think... Uh, I hope that people enjoy doing that with uh, these these Glenbrook rules. Yeah, I- imagine you know the the caring parent of someone in a noir mystery. I was actually just about to call it out. If you want to go the other way around, pretty much any role in Worth Your Salt, the noir mystery or the noir thriller, mm-hmm. whichever phrase I went with, um, film, any of those would also work in Glenbrook, pretty much. <laughs> You can you can go bring the kid or the singer in, and they'll fit in just fine. Mm-hmm. The politician, the local mayor running up for re-election. You got the newsie. They could be the school newspaper or even the local newspaper, depending on the scale of your thing. Right, right. Or uh, bringing the beast from Xenohunter in to <laughs> and then uh, Glenbrook. you get to run Archie versus the aliens. You, you get Archie versus Predator, or you just get... A slasher movie, yeah, where the most of the violence is more emotional violence between the victims before they're yeah. killed off by the the hideous elder thing. The beast could very much be Jason Voorhees or Freddy. Yeah, quite easily. Uh, your future dystopia with teens? Oh, you mean like the most profitable genre of three years ago? <laughs> right. Right, uh, right. Havoc Engine definitely has some bases in Hunger Games, and a lot of the Glenbook roles would fit fairly well into Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Or, or again, with my like uh, NFL locker room idea, and any story that you want to tell that is big personalities put together in a bucket that aren't entirely done cooking, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Pe- people with more uh, emotion than sense. And I'm not saying that's how real teams are. I'm saying that's how any given Sunday is. That's how the replacements <laughs> is. That's how, like... Of course, uh, the ace would fit in pretty well in... Um, the ace from Dramatis, personally, the spy movie, would fit in pretty well in Glenbrook as the Fonz. <laughs> Intro question. Why are you so cool? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. End question. How are you still so cool? Oh, we we didn't talk about the uh, intro questions and the goals much because they, they have no mechanical yeah. benefit. But uh, as... They help introduce you to what the character is and help guide you to what you're looking at, really. They're, they're basically the first thing from the character you see. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of them I'm kind of proud of. Uh, the, the parent, I think, has some good ones. What mistake from your youth are the kids repeating? Did you do better than your parents? They, they, the intro and end questions are something you answer during your intro and your epilogue, as you might guess. And they basically, um, point you in the direction of the character's story arc for that role. Mm hmm, mm hmm. They give you a battle plan for you to play with. Along with goals, like, uh, the faculty's goal is to keep control, uh, yeah. the rebels is to watch it burn. Another great pair to match up together. Yeah. pretty Goals are pretty simple. They're only two or three words, but they inform a lot. If you uh, were, were kind enough and interested enough to uh, back the Kickstarter, you will know everything we just said, except for some of the, the behind-the-scenes business, I guess, uh, because you have the, the PDF 
available to you. If you would yep. like to check this game out, uh, see what the other five movies are like in, in similar detail, see some of the fantastic art uh, that, that we've mentioned, and you know, hopefully find some people to play this game that I love so, so much. Again, I'm, I'm involved in this because I started as a fan who would not take no for an answer. <laughs> or... You make it sound like I was forced into it, when it was more like, hey, hey, can I write a teen drama? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know fuck all about teen drama, Grant. Thanks for covering for me. <laughs> I think maybe I also said, like, something spacey. Like, yeah, I already, I already have like, written the, the space one by then. That was the first one I wrote after Laws Out. Yeah, actually. like it, there, was, there were know, options, there. but like yeah. it was the one that I secretly wanted you to say yes to. Yeah, it's the one <laughs> I knew least about, and I knew that you would do best and would bring the most variety, right? Like, like we said yeah. about how five of them are different flavors of action film. Yes, they're kind of all over the spectrum. Um, but Glenbrook honestly fits in pretty well because it's action film is a, is a really wide spectrum. There's a lot in yeah. there. Yeah. But Glenbrook is pretty close to both Worth Their Salt and the Havoc engine, just in very different ways. <laughs> All three of them have um, some kind of, like, genuine emotion is what matters feel to them, just in different ways. So uh, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Again, our, our very first guest ever. Everything we do now is a precedent for any <laughs> further guests we have. I mean, you can't ask me to plug something because we just spent the past hour <laughs> on that. Well, you do have other games. <laughs> I also wrote Fellowship and Panic at the Dojo. But, like, this is the new one that's coming out in a month. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the one to plug, you know? Right, right. Uh, but Fellowship is also a game that I love dearly. It's very good. I wouldn't want to write for it because it would not measure <laughs> up to what you do. <laughs> it's a little more difficult to write for, that's for sure. Um, well, I say that like these resource lists weren't giving me hell, <laughs> which I'm sure you experienced a little bit of. They get hard. Yeah, I got seven really good things and three blank spots. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to narrow down to the best things about someone. There's the a lot of evocative things, the things that jump out and make you want to, to bid them. Oh, something about resources that I enjoy that we didn't mention is that you cannot bid them again except in yes, you know, some very specific circumstances once. right and that can be manifest either because you just cross it off and you, you can't rely on the same thing to, to help you every time or sometimes when it comes up in the scene it's just destroyed yeah sometimes sometimes you lose it um some roles have bit resources that can be bid multiple times like one of my new favorites uh the criminal has a resource, a tangled web of lies. You can bid this multiple times. <laughs> they just keep lying. Uh, but I, I think that option is especially interesting if you wanted to play the teen next door and the, the story is pulling you toward increased disillusionment. So yeah, yes. I've bid my confidence and self-worth and in this scene, they are wrecked. Yes, I don't have them anymore. I can't rely on them now. I've used them up. Mechanics talk. Ah, uh, mechanics talk. But how do we steer back out again? We were steering out, and then we swerved back in. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to talk um, about. What would I have to do to get you to watch Riverdale? Um, tell me which episode has the dumb D&D &D thing in it so I can make fun of that. I'll watch uh, that episode. Which dumb D&D thing? It's been a running plot thread more or less throughout the whole third season. 
Okay. I guess give me the first episode of the third season where that starts and I'll start from there. I'm pretty sure the first episode of the third season. All right. Easy enough. So of the four topics that I thought I might record something about today, we talked about one a lot. Yes. About one a little. I am going to ask you a question that you have no ability to make an informed decision on relating to a third. Okay. Today, Archie 1941 number five came out, the final issue of the Archie 1941 miniseries, which, as you might guess, begins when they graduate high school just in the spring before uh, uh, Pearl Harbor is uh, attacked. Okay. In the last issue, which I have sitting behind me unopened, uh, we will see what happens to, to Archie as he is attacked by Rommel's Africa Corps in North Africa after he enlisted and went through basic training, etc. throughout the course of the series. Do you think he will survive or die? What's his track record of dying in other things? I assume it's not great. I have only seen Archie die once, and it was in okay. the, pun- uh, the Predator uh, crossover. Right. I figured he had to die in that one. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. That was explicitly what I was thinking of when I asked that question, honestly. Um, we did a great episode on yeah. Archie Meets Predator. I should probably listen to your podcast. <laughs> Especially now that I'm in it. That makes it better. <laughs> um, I think Archie's probably going to live, um, but he's going to have like a close friend, a war friend die. Mm. Like he's going to have someone die in his arms. That's my that's my prediction. He has made friends in basic that are not, to my knowledge, existing Archie characters. Or if they are, they're very minor. Like more okay. minor than B- uh, Bingo Wilkin. So that, That's my prediction, is that somebody is going to die in Archie's arms. My prediction is that he will be reported dead, but it will be a, a, a paperwork snafu and he will make it home to Riverdale. Because Archie is a golden retriever. And that is definitely <laughs> some, like, again, a KJ Appa connection, the, the, yeah. a dog's purpose. <laughs> I feel like if that happens, if he's, like, pronounced that, it's going to have a misadventure where, adventure where he's, like, in France for a year before he gets back home. Just, like, in some French hospital. Oh, nice. If, if it was, like, a six or seven issue series, maybe. I, I feel like that's a lot for... That's tw- a little bit much for one episode. For a lot one for 22 one pages. Yeah. yeah. If there was one more issue coming still, maybe. My... Like, this one would end on the cliffhanger of, oh no, did he die? And then we find out he spent a year in France. Actually, I said earlier that I know three things about Archie, and I said two of them, but I didn't say the third. Okay. And I remember what the third is, is that there's a lot of moments in the past where Betty and Veronica are fucking gay. Yes. And they should form an OT3 with Archie as the canonical ending to the series. That's like, my opinion. Nobody realizes that Archie, Betty, and Veronica were the original polycule. And yeah. it started in 1942, like not long after Veronica's introduction. They should extremely just be a polycule, but they never will because love triangle bullshit. Because um, <laughs> that's how that goes. Anyway, uh, where can people find this game as as well as all of your others? Uh, you can find them on Drive Through RPG. The company is Laberry Gothica Games. And again, uh, uh, final bid will is upcoming, not yet there, but there's a lot of good stuff at that storefront. Uh, in the meantime, like fellowship. And where can people keep up to date with you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Vela Ministry Ari, which is where I tweet all the 
Well, not actually not that often. A lot of people <laughs> I follow tweet a lot more often than me, but I tweet fairly regularly. I mostly nice. use Twitter, honestly, to talk to friends and make announcements. And talk about animes. Anime and Six Feet Under. That's most of the things I talk about. Six Feet Under? That sounds like a wonderful thing. What is it's that? It's a really good podcast. I highly recommend it. I am in all of the things in it, along with you in all the mouse guard. You're not in the... Uh, uh, to, well, you are in Winter's End for about a minute per episode. So what you're trying to say is it's an actual play podcast with a number of uh, ongoing campaigns and a lot of uh, short one-offs and miniseries of a wide variety of titles. We did a final bid one earlier, and there's a Monster Hearts 2 one coming out soon that Grant is editing. Yeah. But thanks to everybody for uh, listening in on this uh, heavily Riverdale and etc. inspired game that I was allowed to make for some reason that I really hope people uh, uh, have a lot of fun with. Nothing nothing fills me with, with more joy and anticipation than the idea that this will be in, in black and white print. Uh, in people's hands and is already on on PDFs on people's screens and e-readers to to allow people to to make the sorts of stories that that I am so enamored by. If you play Glenbrook, you should tweet about it to oh, me and Aronicus. Please, 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 please. If you play any Final Bid game, you should tweet about it. But especially Glenbrook to Grant. <laughs> yes, I want I want your play reports. I want your one to five. Uh, tweet chain summaries of what shenanigans you got up to with this uh, uh, story-making machine made out of words. Yes. I want to hear about your, the faculty character, pr- Principal Dan or whatever the fuck. <laughs> whoever you Prince are. Dan. Tell me about your dumb nerds. Uh, in any case, you can still find us, as always, uh, at SexArchie on Twitter, sex underscore Archie. You can find us uploading your expected Chapter 47 recap in a few days once Elena is back from the wild hinterlands of central Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> and- Centralia. Oh, last time we went to visit this friend she's visiting, we did drive through Centralia. We did walk nice. down the street. You can learn more about that on our other show, History Honeys. In Actually, our, I remember here. I remember that. I've, I've listened to that episode. In our, our firsthand Philadelphia episode, we, we talked about uh, other things besides Philadelphia, like Centralia, that, that we yes. saw. Yes. I don't ignore all the things you do, just this one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Can't ignore it anymore. Anyway, I'm Grant, that's Jacob, and from us here at Sex Archie, if you go full dark, you get no stars. Good night, folks. Aw, honey, honey. You are my candy girl. And you got me rocking you. Look at that.